Good afternoon, welcome. My name is Colin Mayer. I'm an emeritus professor at the Side Business School here in Oxford and a professor of finance at the Blavatnik School of Government. It's my very great pleasure to welcome you to this, the fourth session in the series on leveling up regional disparities, inequality, and social exclusion. In the first three, we looked at issues around business, skills, and then we turned to how these issues enact themselves in a place, namely in South Yorkshire, in Sheffield. And today we, talk, we turn to a third big issue in the leveling up agenda around finance. Now, it's commonly thought that in the context of regional policy, that addressing questions of regional disparity is really a public issue. It's about public finance, about taxation, redistribution, incentives for employment and investment, and public finance in infrastructure. We heard from our last speaker, Dave Smith, who is chief executive of the regional authority in South Yorkshire, the combined authority, that he thought that private finance was at least as important, and in some respects more important than public finance, and that it should come before public finance in, for example, thinking about investment in infrastructure. So one of the ideas that we're going to be exploring this afternoon is private financing of leveling up. Is this a new, is this a, a realistic idea to think of private capital markets and private finance really playing a key role in terms of the leveling up agenda? And to address that question, we're very fortunate in having someone who knows more about these issues than really anyone else in this country, Ron Emerson. He was from 2013 until 2016, the founding chairman of Britain's state-owned development bank, the British Business Bank. And he therefore laid the foundation for one of the most important financial institutions in this country involved in issues around the financing of leveling up. He's now chairman of an extremely interesting and innovative new bank called Bank North, which is seeking to provide innovative solutions to giving regional finance available to growing companies. So it's a tremendous pleasure to have you with us, Ron. Thank you very much for being here. And, and, and could I just start by asking you a little bit about your personal story and how you got interested in this issue around the financing and the private financing of regional disparities? Well, the business bank itself was, was probably the beginning of that, although I've been involved in banking <clears throat> for a very long time. But it brought home uh, and this was Vince Cable's idea to set up this bank. Uh, there wasn't much support for it politically at the time. This isn't necessary or, well, it's not for the government to fix this. Um, so we set this up from scratch. And what we found, first of all, was some incredibly interesting people who came to join it, who believed it was important. So just as an example, uh, we were told we had to pay bottom quartile salaries, which, of course, in banking is anathema, and everyone said, well, no one will join. So at the top end, we had a senior partner, ex-partner from a private equity company. We had a senior member of JP Morgan. People who had been around and wanted to put something back into the system. And at the other end, we got fantastic people from McKinsey and BCG who wanted to work with government for a while. So we had very high quality people, but all of them had a sense of, 
this is actually important, this cause. One of the things we were charged with, amongst many, um, was to become a subject expert on this. Because SMEs, it's not a sector. It's this amorphous mix of things around the country and a great variation. So we did a lot of research. And that research brought home the dilemma that many of these SMEs faced uh, in accessing finance uh, and building, growing their, their businesses. So that uh, was a salary experience. It was interesting how rapidly it moved. You know, within three years, we mobilized 7 billion of new money. We financed 40,000 new startups, which no one else but government could have done mm -hmm. because these were startups for people who had no business experience, um, no security to offer. Uh, and we would lend them up to 25,000 uh, pounds. Every other bank would have run a mile. Uh, we gave them a mentor, and this is still there still. But, but that had an extraordinary impact too, because we learned something about the social side of this. Um, I don't know what the number is now, but at that time, certainly for a period, 40% of our applications were from long-term unemployed people. And the longer you're out of employment, the harder it is to get back. Probably would never have thought of starting a business. And, well, someone's prepared to take a risk on me. Um, they had the lowest default rates, um, which was interesting. Someone's given, given me a chance. Now, the Taxpayers Alliance thought this whole thing was a waste of money anyway, because we budgeted to, uh, to, to, to write off 35% of these loans, which was realistic. Um, but the average loan for these uh, people was 5,500 then, 7,200 now. If you get someone off welfare for six months, you pay for it. So you get into a, an unexpected consequence in this case of starting to understand what's out there and what's going on. And it's, it's from the individual all the way through to uh, bigger corporates. So that just more than sparked my interest. And when I was asked to chair Bank North, um, I looked at it and it was quite simple in a way. It was the best SME banking model I'd seen and one of the best teams I'd ever come across. And again, some extraordinary good people coming together around an idea and a cause. And that's what it was seen like, to put back finance where it was needed for SMEs. Uh, and that was critical for the uh, regeneration of the economy. So it, it was getting back to the sharp end, having been at the, the government end. So that's how I got to where I am now. So why is finance so important in this story? And, and do you think that private finance is really a, an alternative to public finance? Well, it's not an alternative. This is a complementary fit. This is about a partnership. I'm absolutely convinced leveling up cannot be done without private finance. But if we come back, we circle back a bit, because it, it always goes without saying that um, finance is critical to supporting the growth of businesses and, of course, economies. Most of the conversation recently about the government's role has been, well, how much are they going to spend and what will they spend it on? And a lot of that has been around infrastructure, roads, rails, and connectivity clearly is important. Uh, but on its own, it's not enough to regenerate an an economy, especially as they're backpedaling on this now. Um, but it's not irrelevant. And a conversation I had with Andy Burnham uh, a little while ago, and I said, well, what's your major challenge uh, right now? And he said, transport. Instantly, it's transport. So very important uh, issue. But the other thing about government and what the conversation is going on now is that a criticism that's been leveled is they haven't, quote, defined what leveling up means. And my view is uh, they can't define it, nor should they try to define it, because what leveling up will take has to be defined by the regions themselves, within the regions. All of these regions are different. They've got different histories, different cultures, so they've got different challenges, different opportunities. They're all at different stages of development. Um, so there's an enormous difference between them. And a lot of this, and it's emerging now, as we're seeing, of local leadership taking back control over their own fate. And it's for these 
regions to come up with objectives and strategies that define the resources they need, some of which government will uh, be able to supply. But in a sense, what you want to do is pull what you need, not just take what you're given, which has been the pattern in the past. So, so that is critical. And uh, another conversation with Roger Marsh, who was head of the Leeds Lab and uh, chair of the Northern Powerhouse uh, Project, said the last thing we need from government is a template. Uh, one size fits all. Just doesn't work. So if we look at an example of what's emerging here, uh, and you look at, say, Ben Hushin and Tees Valley, a uh, 35-year-old guy, um, he's bought the local airport because it looked like it was going to close, and he saw that being important for the future development. He persuaded the government to let them set up a free port in, in Teesside. They're actually thinking about buying the port. Um, there's a new local bank, GB Bank. It's just got its license there. And to capitalize it, Ben Hushin pulled 20 million out of the local pension fund to capitalize this bank. This bank is a development bank uh, and it will build houses, construction in the local economy. So what we're seeing there is a, what do we need? What can we get from government? In this case, we've got the Freeport. What can we do for ourselves? Uh, and, and I find this seriously encouraging, but it needs the leadership and it needs that, that confidence. But if we come back to the leveling up piece and finance in general, it will be impossible to level up this economy unless we address the needs of the SME community. It's more than 50% of our economy, GDP and jobs. And we have to provide finance for that. So the one thing all of these regions have in common, as opposed to differences, is a serious impediment to accessing finance to scale up these businesses. So if we look at Germany and the Mittelstadt, um, what we know about that is it's the core of the German economy and the engine of their phenomenal export success. Uh, but it has a stable infrastructure of local banks, the Sparkhaus and Landesbank, um, that are totally dedicated to supporting that SME community. So much so that it, it's, it, it's against the law for each of these banks to move outside of their region and lend money. So we don't have that infrastructure. What infrastructure we had, we've lost. So a very interesting report that I know you contributed to, Colin, uh, from the all-party parliamentary group that was published in September, was scathing about the availability of private finance, but the critical nature of it. And two things, to me, leapt out of that report. Um, one was, because of the difficulty accessing finance, 73% of all SMEs uh, would rather grow slowly than borrow money and grow quickly. There you have a central dilemma to any leveling up. The second interesting stat was from Sherry Kutu from the Scale-Up Institute, and her calculation is that if you can get a 1% increase in scale-ups, it would create up to a quarter of a million jobs and 38 billion GVA contribution to the economy over three years. Now, we might argue about the statistics and whether she's accurate, but order of magnitude, we know it's true. There is plenty of evidence that scaling up SMEs has a major economic impact. The finance for that would be critical in leveling up. It's not there at the moment. So, so what's the problem? We have the finest, largest, most international capital market in the world. And yet, you seem to be saying that there's something that's not working in terms of financing growing companies in the region. What, what's the problem? Well, it's one that I think is easy to define. Um, we had a dominant four banks, and I'm not here to knock these banks, but I think it's important to understand what's happened and what therefore was pretty predictable. Uh, the distribution system for their financial services was essentially a 19th century, early 20th century model of bricks and mortar branches uh, around the country. Um, in the second half of the 20th century, it became clear this wasn't sustainable, if only on a cost basis. They were losing some of their traditional sources of finance and income, 
so they had to do something about the cost. So they started to close branches. Um, with the advent of the digital economy, with the Revoluts, uh, Monzos and Starlings aiming at the mass market consumer market, it was clear that that branch network was now totally irrelevant. Regardless of cost, it was a relevant uh, delivery system. And of course, it was always irrelevant for the big corporates. Unfortunately, the sector for whom it was relevant was the SME community, because they required uh, a local capability uh, to get decisions about financing their businesses from the banks. And what had happened, the double whammy in this, if you like, was that not only were they closing branches, but where the branches still existed, the banks had withdrawn all of the people and skills from those branches that could make those decisions about lending money and remoted that into cost, uh, call centers and head offices. And of course, call centers can only do fairly trivial things like opening accounts or whatever. But if you wanted term money, if you want to borrow five million for seven years to scale up your business, that goes to head office. And the problem for the bank then was having withdrawn all of these skills, they'd seriously undermined their ability to assess the risk because the risk in an SME isn't just in the numbers, the balance sheet and P&L account. And not only had they remoted the decision-making, but they moved towards credit scoring systems, algorithms, which work fine for mass market. They do not work for SMEs. You have to know who the people are because a successful entrepreneur may have brought the business to a really good place, wants to borrow long-term, to move it forward, uh, very good, uh, but are they the right people to take it to that next stage? Are they aware of their own limitations? What else they might need to bring in? Do they have a clear plan? You need to know the people. And for that, you need things to be local. And it was interesting, I was talking when we were building the business bank to an ex-chair of one of the big banks about this topic and this problem for SMEs. And he said, you know, he said, it's all our fault. He said, we spent the last 15 to 20 years de-skilling the client interface. So what happened was pretty well predictable. It might have been inevitable for them, but it left this void. Uh, and in this, uh, going back to the old party uh, comment and, and, and uh, statistics, uh, what Sherry Kutu showed but there's this massive opportunity, but you removed the vehicle for it. Now, this isn't just about bank finance, clearly. Uh, it, it crosses into and includes, if you talk about patient capital, uh, investment itself. And that's probably a separate subject in its own right. But there are problems there too. Talking to the CEO of one of the investment houses in London, and we were talking about how there's a very strong inward foreign investment still into the UK, especially in tech. I think we're number three in the world after US and China. Um, and I said, well, how much of this gets north of Watford? And she said, none of it. I think there are over 160 finance houses in London. I think six have offices outside of London. So there's almost a statement of intent or lack of intent or a sense of, well, we can do it from here. But you know, the credit officer in a big bank sitting in London, looking at a loan application term loan application for a business in Rotherham has no idea how to make that decision. And I think with the investment houses, because of the power of London and the Southeast, there's ample opportunities to fill their uh, funds locally. So there's a big question there about how do you persuade the investors to move north that there are great opportunities. I think this comes back to local leadership and the ability to, for want of a better term, sell the region to, uh, to, to, uh, to these investors. But right now, to cap all of that, if we think scaling up is critical for leveling up, finance is critical, we rank number 13 out of 14 OECD countries in success in doing that. It's an indictment and it has to be fixed. So what's needed on the banking side? What, what what would turn around the British banking system? Um, clearly, this isn't easy, but I think the first thing this says is unrealistic to expect that the big banks will come back and fix this. 
I find it extraordinary the number of people I talk to think that will happen. Um, and it's a mixture of things. We're, we're funny in this country. We tend to think of banks almost as utilities. And certainly, well, look, if they cause a problem, they should solve it. Nothing to do with that. It's about their own strategies and how they've evolved. And if you look back at the big four banks 30, 40 years ago, they all look pretty much the same. Today, you know, you look at Barclays pursuing growth through investment banking. You've got NatWest still trying to rebuild things after the RBS problems. You've got HSBC with the vast bulk of its business in, in Asia. And you've got Lloyds who actually does have uh, a, a commitment on the SME front. Um, but of course, they face the same structural issues that all of those big banks have had to deal with in terms of costs and uh, systems and, and so on and so forth and, and whatever. So typically what you're going to get from these banks, if you get anything, is short-term working capital and you can't scale up uh, a business uh, on, on that basis. So it won't come from that source. What we are seeing is the emergence of a lot of new players. Um, and there's still a lot of cynicism about what we call challenger banks. I mean, we all get lumped together, but they're all quite different. Um, but certainly, I'd be worried as a big bank, uh, in terms of, maybe I should look at SMEs, of the threat of the new players, the Revoluts, Monzos, and Starlings of this world, to their mass market business. So they're diverted by, strategically, well, we've got to defend that. Um, but it's also shown that part of this answer is completely new platforms. So what is happening with the challenge banks on the business side, and if we look at SMEs, and if I look at what we're doing right now, is we're putting back the skills into the marketplace that were withdrawn before. So I see uh, a significant move here um, for new players uh, to come in and remodel the whole thing. It's very difficult for the big banks with big legacy systems to rewrite those systems and, and make them flexible. So we are seeing a lot of new ones. So if we take SMEs, um, you look at Oak North and Rishi Kozler, who set it up, and he came to see us at the business bank when he was doing that, and he launched that in 2016. Um, and it was valued then at 60 million. And a lot of people say, well, you can't make money out of SMEs and it's a waste of time. It's valued today, five years later, at just over two and a half billion. And they've got a big balance sheet and they are profitable. If I look at another example, Australia actually mirrors the UK in terms of the structure of banking there and that the history is of dominant banks, the SMEs lost out. And a new bank was founded there a few years ago called Judo Bank by a chap called Joe Healy and his colleagues. And it's entirely focused, no distractions, entirely focused on SMEs. Um, and he wrote a book uh, called Breaking the Banks in which he talks, and on his website talks, about the craft of SME lending. And it's a very good phrase. This craft, which is partly about analysis and numbers, it's about some softer skills of knowing who these people are. It's about knowing the region in which they operate. These SMEs, uh, there are many myriad connections within the regions in which they operate, people that know each other. And you have to know those communities as well as knowing that player to know how likely they are to succeed. So I see the move being to completely new kind of player. The big banks won't fix it, and nor should they. They're not obliged to. They've got their own obligations to shareholders. Strategically, they've moved somewhere else. Uh, it's time for a structural uh, change of what will be, and I think can only be, on the banking side, new players. So, so tell us a little bit about what you see as being the structure of those successful new players in terms of personnel, the relationships, the type of lending that they need to give to really help SMEs to start up. Well, I can probably best do that by talking about Bank North and we can relate it to other banks as well. Um, what we're doing is we built a bank that is just focused on SMEs. And more particularly, it's focused on 
term lending and providing growth capital to scale up businesses. So that's what we do. Um, we claim it's the first truly regional bank in a, over 100 years. Um, and that doesn't matter if it's true or not, but in, in the sense of it actually being dedicated to the regions, it is. So structurally, we will deliver service through uh, what are, we call pods around the country. And we will roll out these pods, and a pod will have not just relationship managers, but it will have risk assessment, lawyers, valuers. It will have all of the people there that can make a decision. So the person you talk to in the bank as a client approves your loan, unless there's something truly uh, unusual about it. But also, this is built on a digital platform, which allows enormous flexibility. And what it allows us to do with this decentralized approach is approve that loan in less than two weeks. And typically, with one of the big banks, uh, it will take two to three months. And the answer could be no. Uh, and time is of the essence. And that came out of this uh, report from the parliamentary group um, of the time wasted. And small businesses don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of resource. So getting an answer quickly is, is important. Research we did at the business bank early on was, well, what is important to you? Very early piece of research. And top of the thing for all SMEs was speed of response. Uh, cash flow is everything. You can go bust very quickly if you're not careful, uh, if you haven't got the money. So, so we can give an answer very quickly. Uh, and it's based on local knowledge, local capability. There are some banks that have got regional representatives but this is essentially a sales force. It's, it, it's a, a way of generating uh, deals, which then go back to, to head office. So it's, it's purely dedicated locally with the infrastructure to support it. So that's the structure of a new player, if you like, um, based on technology. But it's this combination of technology and people, uh, which is critical. These people will not get their loan on an app. They will talk directly. Another thing that's emerging, which is very interesting, is we will work a lot with brokers. And this is a new dimension. And so what will happen is a client will go to a broker if they don't know where else to go and say, well, here is my transaction. This is what I want to do. And the broker with local knowledge will say, if that's what you want, this is the bank you should go to that has an appetite for that sort of transaction or perhaps several banks, who knows. But it's more than just a referral system. It is, they will prepare paperwork, uh, which helps the client, it helps the bank. So it's a really important intermediary function. Uh, and last year, more than 20 billion of SME lending went through the brokerage network. And we know these people, so we've already lined up all of the brokers we work with through these pods around, around the country. Interestingly, at the business bank, we were tasked by the Treasury to set up a bank referral scheme because what would happen with the banks in the past, to some extent, still does is if you got a no on an application you've made, you're just left to your own resource. And so the Treasury said, we want you to build two platforms so that the banks will now be required to refer somebody onto the platform of other people who might be able to give them an answer. It's frankly not a great scheme, I'll, I'll be honest about that. And we were skeptical at the time because it's not an intelligent interface, whereas the broker system is. Uh, a lot of these brokers are ex-bankers, and so they will understand the, the, the mutuality of that request and appetites over here. It, it's another part of the efficiency uh, and speeding up of it. So we're already seeing an important structural shift that wasn't there at all before, and, and it's already significant. Now, the, the branch manager of the traditional British commercial bank was one of the most highly regarded members of his or her community. Will your relationship managers have that sort of uh, status within the communities that they're operating? Do you envisage that client, a company coming to you will have the same relationship manager for a long period of time? Is that how you're trying to build the business? 
Yes, look, if you have the power to give money, it tends to give you status. Um, you know, you're a respected member, and but more particularly, the respect in the past for the branch manager came from not just they're the boss in the bank, but the fact is they were a member of the community in which they operated. They knew people. Um, and they were respected on a much broader scale of, actually, this individual, male or female, is important to us as a community and our community thriving. Um, and it is this taking back control. And people feel, and rightly feel, they've lost control over their destiny because something they needed has been taken away from them to some faceless individual in London who couldn't care less in the end about your econ local economy. These people, we will recruit local people to, to head up these pods. It's interesting, we had an approach, we have a plan to roll out these pods, but we had an approach from another city that uh, wasn't on our initial rollout scheme that said, look, we've been researching SMEs in our community and every one of them said the same thing, access to finance is everything. Will you put one of your pods in our city? Because we need a local bank. And that's what this is. It's putting a local bank back with local people and a local awareness and commitment and, dare I say, passion about, we're going to fix this. I think it's interesting. There's a reemergence, I think, of regional identities in this country where, you know, it's all gone too far for mass market and, you know, anonymous sort of things. Uh, and I'm wanting to rebuild pride. And this is going to be a partnership uh, in this whole thing. And I'm, I'm impressed by your study, Colin, where you talk about the need to look at the role of the private sector, the public sector, education and training and communities. We have to have all of those. So finance is a critical piece of this. And without that, by the way, none of it can happen. But for it to work effectively, we've got to think about the changing dynamics of the UK and its economy and how those dynamics have to change. Uh, so leveling up has to be a pull from the regions and I, I wouldn't say we take government out of this because I think there is a great complementarity. I'm a great believer in, in government uh, involvement. Startup loans is a great example. Wouldn't happen without it. But at the Business Bank, you know, we put the Northern Powerhouse Fund together, the Midlands Engine Fund, 400 million Northern Powerhouse now, I think 600 million. Um, uh, and a number of other angel funds, low-level VC funds that weren't available through the normal channels. But in the end, the government cannot be the system. The government cannot be the new infrastructure to replace what the banks have. It simply doesn't make sense. It's not practical. But it's a great partner. Um, and look, we as a new bank are talking to the British Business Bank. Um, we see that as a possible partner uh, uh, that wasn't there before. So I, I look, I, I'm a big fan of the Business Bank. I would say that, wouldn't I? But the fact it's still there and is growing, and we found that we were being asked constantly by the Treasury to do more. And we had an extraordinary experience. Uh, we went and asked for more money, which we did all the time at one point. And they gave us more than we asked for, which I don't think has ever happened before uh, in Treasury. So, um, so the government has to be there. But I think it's back to this. Actually, government, British Business Bank, be really good for our community if you could do something that looked like this. And so a real partnership, along with the other things that we talked about. Now, what about the other parts of the financial system? Banking is clearly important, but it's not the only component. And business needs equity sources of finance. Outside of the Southeast, there's very little in the way of an angel community. Private equity is very heavily concentrated in the Southeast. What, what needs to happen in that school? Well, there's no doubt we need to get equity into this, this equation. And the Business Bank has actually helped some of that. Um, the real question, I don't think we have an answer to this yet, is why isn't it there? Why, amongst all of these houses in London I mentioned, do only six of them have offices outside? Is it a lack of appetite? Is it a lack of awareness? Uh, I think it, it it's, it, fear isn't the right word, but let me use that. 
It's a fear of the unknown. We're familiar with this territory. Uh, it's a community, obviously a city, uh, and everybody knows everyone. They know who the different players are. It's therefore easier for them to do the transaction, arguably. And if they don't need the additional business, well, why would we bother? I think this comes back to the regions have to say, look, we do need equity. This is the sort of quantum we look for. This is where we have it. And for them to go and ply their trade in London, for them to uh, look locally, to build local equity capability. Again, you made a comment in your research brief that if we look at the Industrial Revolution, um, none of that was driven from London. Um, it was the Chamberlains and Wedgwoods, all supported by local banks, which have now disappeared. But they also had local stock exchanges. So local people invested in local companies. But there isn't that capability at the moment. So something like that has to be rebuilt. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be entirely optimistic about dragging people out of London, but I see no reason why investment houses can't be set up uh, locally. And we're having a conversation right now with an, uh, an organization called Regionally, which is an advisory firm on equity investment. And it's based in Wolverhampton. And they're absolutely dedicated to, um, to helping companies raise equity finance. So they have connections in London. So they know what the appetites are there. So it's, it's a little bit like the broker analogy of matching people up uh, across that piece. So we're seeing more of this. And this doesn't seem in any sense like a flash in the pan. There's more and more of this now uh, happening of local initiatives. The fact that Ben Hushin pulled 20 million out of his pension fund, that there are more ways of getting equity than just talking to uh, some fund. Uh, and I think the local authorities need to and are looking at, should we be moving money into these things? We have, as part of our capitalization, an investment from the Greater Manchester Combined Authority. Um, they decided to invest in us. I think that's another component. So that's equity in our bank from them. Um, so I think that's another avenue because people are gonna take responsibility for fixing these problems. This is back to leadership and taking ownership for what can we do? And to say, well, we can't do equity because it's all in London, fine. Find your own, get creative about this. Roger Marsh, when I was speaking to him, um, was talking about the new West Yorkshire morality that's been set up. And, and I won't mention the actual numbers because it may not be public knowledge, but they will get a fairly significant um, annual income for that morality. And instead of that being dissipated, I'm not saying it would be wasted, but you can often see these things going across a million projects that doesn't move the dial on anything. He's got to securitize it into an investment fund. So they would look at that investment fund as something very powerful. Um, and he's talking about a big number uh, where they can look across the territory and say, where's this money needed? I think that's great. That's taking control. So it's, there's a, a variety of ways you can find equity. If there was a little local stock exchange, I'm not sure if that's ever realistic, but it is a way, and there's lots of rich entrepreneurs. Some of them have invested in our business. So we, we've got a lot of high net worth individuals who invest in our bank, uh, another form of equity. Uh, and there are ways to access that. There are companies in the regions, one that we use, um, who know how to get to these people. So there's a multitude of sources of equity. It's about mobilizing it in the region locally. So what about the, the need for people to have the skill set to be able to gain access to that finance and the mentoring and the networking that goes on in places where there's a really vibrant entrepreneurial culture? Isn't there a problem in terms of the provision of that knowledge base? Yes. Um, one of the things we did right at the start at the business bank was to produce a pamphlet on how to write a business plan. And one of the problems many SMEs had and still have is <clears throat> if you want someone's money, you need a persuasive argument. 
You may be passionate about your business, but they look at it in a different way, which is how am I going to get my money back? Hopefully a bit of profit. So that skill set on its own, uh, if you're an entrepreneur with a passion about a particular product, it's probably never been part of your past. So that was a, a small gesture. We worked with 21 different organizations to put that together. The FSB was one of them. Uh, Chamber of Commerce was another. Um, what's needed, of course, there is an awareness of, I've got a problem. Uh, I need some training. And again, I think that's, that's coming. And I do think that's a big part of your project about the need for education and training, which is um, you can't just moan about not getting money. You have to understand why you didn't get it. Now, this has been a big problem, I have to say, with the big banks came out of that report that most of the time when businesses were turned down for banking finance, nobody explained why the money wasn't approved, which doesn't help at all. Was it because, well, we just don't have an appetite for that, or actually the business plan was just awful, and if you'd done this, this, and this, well, then we might have listened. Too late. So there is a big educational issue there. I think what happened or can happen here is there's an awful lot of uh, role monitor, uh, monitoring, if you like, it, when people look across their territory and their region and see successful businesses, they do learn, going to various functions and whatever and chatting to other business people, how did you get that money? How did you go about it? So there's a lateral thing there, an informal process. But I do think, uh, yes, that, look, it's an issue. How is it going to be fixed? Uh, I think uh, there's a range of ways. And I, I'm somewhat encouraged, actually, of the reemergence of local technical colleges that have been kind of sidelined from the education system. But reemerging as providers of genuinely needed skills training, not to do with banking and finance, but uh, G make wind turbines in Hartlepool, a seriously deprived town. Um, and I know because I come from there. Um, and they are sponsoring students at the local technical college to develop skills that they need. There is no reason why that technical college and others can't provide training on uh, business management, business plan preparation, understanding how capital markets work, understanding the way investors think. Uh, and, and so th this is not, dare I say, rocket science. It, these are easily trainable. You have to see the need. Well, desperation might get you there if you're not getting the money you want. So yes, yes it's an issue. Um, there are things happening. Is it enough? Um, probably not. But I have to say, if we get back to truly regional delivery, of banking services. Uh, and by the way, one thing I forgot to mention that most people might be aware of is Handel's Banking has proven this uh, benefit of local decision making. They're top rated for SMEs uh, because they have branches actually in towns where they make decisions. Expensive structure, but nevertheless. But what you will get then, because you're talking to the people actually making the decision, is you do get the opportunity to learn because if the answer is no, you can ask the person, well, why didn't you do it? If it's somebody sitting in head office in London, you're never going to get to them. It's just someone else passes the message on. Um, and will the relationship managers in Bank North be providing that type of... Yes, no, absolutely. These are all bankers um, recruited locally. We've had, interestingly, and it's a bit like the business bank, extraordinary uh, income of talent of people who want to join this sort of institution in this region, put something back. And so we're getting some very talented people who have been at the sharp end in other banks, don't like the way it works. Um, but these are smart, clever people. And they see it as their job. Uh, we are developing relationships here that we want to be long-term. We're a long-term lender. Um, and for that, you can't just have one conversation and then wave goodbye. You're, it's a constant discussion uh, about what's happening with the business, what isn't happening, could we help some more, 
can someone else help? Uh, we expect to work with other partners. So if somebody says, uh, actually, you know, we need even more patient capital, you're likely to say, you know, you've got to the stage where you need a different capital structure. You need some equity in here. Um, and this is what you want to do. A lot of small businesses are terrified because they say, well, whoever puts this in is going to want to put a director on my board and I'm going to lose control. It's a, it's a classic reaction. Uh, not necessarily true. But we are looking at, or well, talking to regionally, we would look to work with other partners where if that happens, if they say, look, you, you really need more than just bank finance, we know somebody who can help you. And it's, it's an educational thing as well as just a, a referral thing that sending to, to, to someone like that. Um, so again, this is back to partnerships and communities and groups of people who, you know, <laughs> I had this, uh, I was about to say famous, it's not famous, but something I always ask when things are tricky is, are we having the right conversation here and are the right people in it? And frequently we don't make progress because we don't have the right people. It's, well, I don't know the answer to that. Well, actually, I don't, but I know someone who might. And it's that willingness to work with and, and be, don't say care about a business, that you want to help them, help them through that. Um, each of these poses a different challenge. And getting them through that is often an educational thing. This fear is based on an ignorance or, well, there was a story published, which I saw, which was bad news. Well, they're the th stories that get, get published. Um, so yes, look, that's another challenge. It needs to be tackled. And one of the biggest challenges that Britain faces is it starts businesses, but it's very bad at them building them into national and international competitors. How, how, how far does your lending go? What, what, what's the maximum loan that well, at the moment, it would be up to five million, but you know we're we're just starting out. Right. Um, that could increase, but you know, in the early stages, you're watched very critically by the regulator. Right. Uh, during this period, we need to increase our capital, which would certainly increase our capability to lend uh, more than that. But in the early stages, we can lend up to five million. Five million is quite a lot for most businesses, yeah. most small businesses. Um, and, but we are in a very specific part of this sector, as I say, those that, that want to grow. So that's, you know, it's half a million up to five million. Um, but I can tell you, Oak North, um, having started out like that, five years later, are lending much, much bigger amounts, uh, tens of millions. Um, so uh, this doesn't have to be a constraint. It's largely early stage growth, if you like, pains of the capital that's required uh, and getting that capital. You know, there's a challenge here too that's had some publicity lately in that the capital ratios that small banks have to keep are much the same as the big banks. And it's a real penalty. So we've got to hold what we think are bigger amounts of capital than necessary because the smaller banks have much simpler risk structures than the big banks. And we feel that these should be eased. And immediately after breakfast, Brexit, the uh, PRA said, we're going to look at this to ease the restrictions. We haven't heard anything yet. So there are some things that could be done there that would increase the, uh, the, the, the capacity of, of us and, and others. And when you talked about government partnerships, do you see a role for the government in terms of partnering with private financial institutions absolutely. in terms of providing larger amounts of finance? Uh, absolutely. As I said, we're in conversation with the British Business Bank um, about where they may be able to help us. And that's, we've had several and there's one next week. So this isn't a, sorry, we're not going to do that. Um, they've evolved, uh, they, uh, they've set up a subsidiary called Patient Capital. They're well aware of this gap and the need for patient capital, both equity and debt. Um, so yes, we expect to, to work with the British Business Bank, absolutely. And of course, they have from day one provided 
a number of facilities for banks where, for example, if you've reached your limits uh, on a particular client, and look, that's up to our risk appetite, are providing guarantees to support a lifting, a government guarantee to lift that limit. So that was there from day one when we, we kept, and it's still there, uh, uh, finance guarantees. Uh, so there's a multitude of things, and they're, they're very open and constantly talking about, well, what else can we do? And what we found, as I think I hinted at earlier, was although there was a, quite a lot of political skepticism, which changed rapidly because we hit all of our targets and exceeded most of them, was the strong support throughout was Treasury. Um, and I think now looking at leveling up, everyone's aware that there's a big role, possibly expanding role for the business bank to play. But I repeat my earlier comment, um, it can't fix the system that went bust or disappeared. Uh, this is a rebuild, in my view, with private finance, private banking. And the opportunity is huge. Um, in terms of already we've started to obviously talk about lending now, uh, we just got our license a few months ago, and we've got a load of applications, more than we frankly can handle. Um, th this is a, a, a low-hanging fruit for new players, and, and I say that advisedly, you know, the risks involved, and you have to know what you're doing, but it's like the whole leveling up Thing, the Sherry Kuta coin, there's a big prize here for the government, for economies, for new players. This is not a fly by night thing uh, at all. So uh, we're very optimistic, and all the conversations we're having are seriously positive with the various players that we are working with and hope to work with. Thank you. Let me just throw it open to any questions that people have got. Um, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fascinating. Um, to that point of this being such a large opportunity, I'm curious what it has been like to raise funds to increase the amount of uh, capital you have at your at your disposal. Uh, have investors been able to see the great opportunity? Um, are you trying to you know what is that relationship like? What is it what is it like to have those conversations with people? Thank you. I'm not sure I caught all of that, but what was the central question? Um, in terms of raising the amount of funding you have available and talking to private investors to invest in your fund. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I'm using the wrong words, but raising the capital you have at your disposal for for the, the bank, um, are, are, are people willing to do that? Are people interested? Do they see the opportunity? What are those conversations like? Am I asking the right question? Well, yeah, that's fine. No, um, the short answer is yes, they are. Uh, the question is, I think what we've been talking about here, is it sufficient? Uh, what we do know is there isn't enough of an appetite to do that. Um, and these appetites do change an awful lot. So for example, if you were a biotech startup or some deep tech startup, you'll get people far more interested because they're seeing all sorts of fantastic growth there, um, as opposed to something that might be just more local, because the thing about tech is you can globalize that if it's any good. Whereas if it's a local business with just a local opportunity, uh, that may not go very far. So some investors are really looking to a significant payoff from that particular deal. Others, a bank regionally would look at, we're looking at making money in the region from a multitude of transactions, each of which we would hope would be profitable. Um, but we see that the return being a collective thing by working with good risks. Uh, whereas there are, certainly at the equity side, people saying no. I mean, if you were dealing with private equity, for example, private equity has only one interest is what's the exit multiple and when is it? So they're saying, look, this is a good investment. I want out in five years and I want a multiple of 10 times. And if I can't get it, I won't invest the money. 
But that's what private equity is about. And if you don't like that, fine. Uh, so choosing your partner is important. It's not just getting the money, but um, I chaired a, a company that was funded by private equity. And the chief executive we hired had worked for a major corporation. Uh, and he said, I can't stand these private equity people. They're on my case every week. He said, I used to put a budget together and we'd monitor it every quarter um, with head office or whatever. And then they'd leave me to it. These people want numbers every week, every fortnight. They're ringing me up, they're calling in. That's how they operate. They're forensic. As long as you are aware of that, that might be okay. Um, so picking your partner is, is important because it can backfire. There are appetites for good business everywhere. If you've got a good idea, if you've got a viable proposition, you can find the funding. It, depending where you are geographically, uh, depending how well you've written your business plan, depending on a number of factors, it may be more or less difficult. But uh, it's not that often that something that really absolutely hits the button in terms of an opportunity and a need in a particular market that there won't be someone out there that says, that's for me. And it might just be a high net worth individual. Um, so Vincent online has asked, how quickly could you get scaling up to a level of regional banking, say as there is in Germany? How long? How quickly? Well, how quickly? To a reasonable level. Well, what's a reasonable level? <laughs> Look, it's a good question. Oh, how fast can this move? Um, it will depend on a number of factors. I think the principal one will be the success of players who are going into this market. Things can move very quickly if they say, we were skeptical about this. And you know, one of the problems we have is people say, well, you're a FinTech challenger bank. And you know, most of those are not making money, but actually what they're talking about are uh, mass market consumer. So Revolut has managed to Ghana, something like 10 million uh, customers from the big banks. And I can't remember, I think it still loses about 120 million. And so, well, you know, this, this, uh, this doesn't work. But they managed to attract a lot of capital, interestingly, despite that. Um, and we get lumped in with that. And so we're not even remotely in that area. So if I look at our area of SME banking, um, Oak North has done extremely well. It, it's one example. I think when you get two or three players who really start to motor rapidly. And we're getting a lot of pull, if you like, from the regions about this is what we need. Um, it pulls in others pretty quickly. Um, I think the, the, the real question is linking it to leveling up, of how urgent is this for leveling up? And of course, we still haven't defined what we mean by leveling up, but again, this becomes a regional thing about how big is the problem and how quickly do you need to move it in West Yorkshire as opposed to Cornwall and City Isles? Interestingly, if we put the Northern Powerhouse Fund and the Midlands Engine Fund together, Cornwall and City Isles came and said, could you do one for us? Uh, and they do struggle down there. And I talked to somebody who was trying to raise a fund for that area. And People just see it as too remote and, well, it's just about holiday destinations. So they suffer from an image factor. So how quickly it moves and needs to move is very much a function of what the problem and opportunity is in, in the local economy. I think it will move fast. What do I mean by fast? I can't put a number on it. But I think we are seeing now a serious movement in this country. First of all, a recognition that we've got a serious problem uh, and the sense that, well, it might go away or the big banks might come back. Set against a serious opportunity and, of course, necessity. I, the government, I'm quite sure, pushed the whole levelling up thing initially as a, a political thing to protect the Red Wall vote. It's a post-Brexit imperative now that we get the economy firing on all cylinders. So there's an urgency undoubtedly about this, but I think it will move rapidly. We're out of time, but Paul, you wanted to... 
I, I, can, oh, I apologize. In, in all this conversation, we barely use, use the word universities. Um, and um, um, it's not just that we're in one, it's that, it's that Britain has 18 of the top 100 universities in the world, and that's where um, the ideas are coming from. Um, and uh, how are you going to relate to that? Is it, is it that the, is it a much earlier stage that these ideas need? Is that what's missing, as it were? Is it angels and um, uh, and mentoring? And, and what are you going to do in connection to that? Are you going to put your arm around these companies, or are you just going to make the loan? Well, well, first of all, I think it's a very good point, and I'm on your side. You know, I spent a lot of years on the faculty here, so uh, I am your friend. Um, and the I heard a comment that came out of it was actually a conversation with John Brown was working on one of these committees with number 10. And he said, well, one of the people, it's absolutely clear that leveling up is all about R&D and university research and so on. It's part of that. From our point of view, we're not interested in that we will not finance startups. We've just decided we're going to focus because by focusing, we can do the job better. And where some banks have strayed is where they've spread their interests too wide too soon. And so they've dropped some SME banking in the early banks was dropped because they were too busy trying to sort out the mass market stuff they were doing. So we, we said, we're going to stay focused. Um, that early stage startup, um, so much as you know, depends on, well, what is it? So if it's biotech out of Oxford, people are queuing up to invest. Um, but these are a very special kind of funds. Uh, individuals, back to high net worth individuals, uh, but tech funds, and we talked earlier about the amount of tech funding coming into UK from foreign investors, um, number three in the world. Uh, so it's coming from a whole variety of it. Again, back to the, that's the sort of stuff you can globalize. So this is very attractive. Now, if it's not biotech or what we might call deep tech, then it really does depend on the area it is, but it, it requires a very specialist kind of funder who's ready for that sort of thing. We have suffered as a startup because an awful lot of the investors that you would see out of there from the big to the small have policies that do not allow them to invest in what you call a pre-money startup. Well, it sounds like a brilliant plan. Uh, it seems to make sense but you're not actually making any money. And we have a rule, a constraint uh, in our investment uh, process that we simply don't invest in. Uh, in our case, it was, well, we won't invest till you've got a license. Well, we've got a license now. We'll see if anyone's more interested. So it is a struggle to find what is a much smaller community of players who absolutely have an appetite and, of course, the skill set uh, to work on that. But look, the success, I mean, look at Cambridge, the, 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 the tech park outside of Cambridge, enormous, Microsoft there, whatever, all of that originating out of early uh, tech transfer out of the university, and the biotech piece of Oxford is enormous. And I don't know a single university that doesn't have a department that just does this. How are we going to monetize uh, this research we've got? Uh, brilliant way to finance a university, apart from anything else. Um, so this is a piece of it, Paul, uh, and this is why this is a, a multitudinous, multidisciplinary uh, challenge, because there's so many components with different types of challenges, different needs. Um, but marketplaces tend to sort these things out eventually, maybe with some help from time to time from, from government. Um, and I, I, I had a, a difficult conversation with a minister at the business bank where ministers sometimes will come along with a favorite project in their constituency and, and want you to fund it. And it was a, a bioscience thing, which at that time we were not interested in for all sorts of reasons. And, and I had to decide whether I made a career limiting decision to say no. <laughs> 
which I did. Um, but but it is about appetites and maximum whatever. But look, you're, you're right. This is a economic enormous opportunity. You're right. Fantastic university. You know, regularly three in the top ten in the world. Uh, no other European well EU country has got one in the top ten. Um, we we do, don't play that card as well as we should, I think. And on that happy note, uh, we will have to draw this to a close. So, Ron, thank you very much indeed for a fantastically insightful discussion about what is clearly a central part of the whole leveling up jigsaw. So thank you very much indeed. It was a pleasure. Thank you.